a little over two months ago, I made a strategic error. You see, I preached a sermon about prayer, and that might not seem like a bad thing to do, and in itself it's not, but a few days later, Sean started lobbying to get a dog. Well, I was very full of the sermon, and so I, I said, well, son, you better get started praying. You need to pray positive, perpetually, persistently for God to change Melanie's heart as well as my own. Because one bedrock founding principle of our marriage was no dogs allowed. (laughs) This is my backyard. (laughs) This is Bingo Burdett. He is a testimony to the power of prayer, not my prayer. (laughs) My son's prayer. He's nine months old. He's a sweet, stubborn, lovable doofus who arrived having no idea what to do. We welcomed him into our family, but it became very clear right off the bat he wasn't crate trained, house trained, lease trained, and that he just wanted to chew through everything. We've been in an arms race of chew toys to find something he can't get through. It turns out that puppies aren't born knowing everything they need to know in order to be the dog of our dreams. Turns out we don't know that stuff naturally either. So he's got a lot of learning to do, so do we. I'm impressed with the progress in a little under three weeks, but it is going to take time to build him up into a mature, faithful dog. Well, if you'll pardon the analogy, as Christians, we start out a bit like bingo. We start out very well. Once we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are changed ultimately, right? We are forgiven. We are renewed. Our sins are forgiven. We are washed clean. We are saved. Our eternal destination is made secure through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And kind of like puppies, we are full of energy and excitement, but we don't know very much about what we're supposed to do with it. We don't yet know how we are supposed to live a life that we have been called to as disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we aren't intentionally built up as disciples, if we're just bumping along and going with whatever accidentally comes in our way, then we are likely to live a life that is sprinkled with a little flavor of Jesus, but that misses out on most of the joys and the responsibilities to which we've been called in a life spent truly following Jesus. Today we're continuing to explore LRBC's 2020 vision, and and I hope you've all had a chance to read a copy of the summary report. If you didn't get a chance to read the draft, or even if you did, the final summary report is now available in the back. Be sure to get a copy for your family on the way out. We've added to it based on feedback, so there's more information pulled in from the full report explaining some things. It now weighs in at 16 pages. I got a draft yesterday of the full report. It's 50 pages, so that's what I'm going to be reading this afternoon and tomorrow morning and marking up. But for all of that weight, all the way to those pages, I want to emphasize that this vision can be summarized with eight words. God's lighthouse. That's the vision. Welcoming in, building up, reaching out. Those are the pillars on which the vision stands. If you can remember eight words, you can remember this vision. 
We're called to be God's lighthouse, shining the light of Christ into every corner of this community and to the ends of the earth. We will welcome in each and every person who comes our way. We will welcome them into our community of faith. We will welcome them into our lives. We will welcome them into our hearts. We will build up all who come, and we will each be built up to be lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. We will reach out to our neighbors with the good news of Jesus Christ, and then we will welcome them in and build them up so that they are equipped to reach out and welcome in. It really is that simple. Admittedly, implementation, the devil's in the details, but welcoming in, building up, reaching out, so that we can be God's lighthouse. Eight words defining our course into the future as a church. So today we're beginning a two-week focus on building up. You'll notice in your bulletin you've got the collector's card for building up. Right? Please be sure to save it. Don't recycle it. Don't lose it. Put it up on the fridge right next to the one for welcoming in. Remember, collect all free while supplies last. They only go up in value over time. Last week I made a reference to a Honus Wagner card. I put the wrong year on it because I crossed the series number, but I'm sure what he says is going to be like the 1909 Honus Wagner. Look that up if you don't know the reference. These are going to be great. Very valuable. But building up says that we are a community of faith in which each person is continuously growing in Christ. Personal mentoring, biblical teaching, and individual study fuel our growth. We are all being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the hands and feet of Christ to make him visible to our neighbors. We build up so that we are each equipped to reach out and to welcome in. We build up so that those we reach out to and welcome in will grow in Christ. We build up so that we make genuine disciples of Jesus Christ as a church. Our passage this morning is a favorite of mine. It has a lot of impact on how we conduct ministry here. It is the one that directly led to the start of our Encounter Jesus Bible study on Wednesday nights. And it speaks very clearly to the purpose and process of building up. This passage is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is explaining here that at the most basic level, one of the reasons, one of the most important reasons that God calls certain people to be pastor teachers, evangelists, prophets, or apostles is the function of building up what we are talking about today. And and that the church specifically is gifted with these people to build rock-solid disciples 
who build God, Christ's body. So today, there are many things in this passage, but I want to focus on two key elements. The why and the how. The why is to build up disciples who build up the body of Christ. And Paul is very, very explicit in this passage. The overarching purpose of God calling preachers, teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists is to build the body of Christ, which is the church. In verse 12, Paul says they are given to equip the saints, right, all believers, so let's make sure we're clear on that, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He speaks of equipping, but the purpose of the equipping is to build up Christ's body, to build up the church. And Paul concludes verse 16 by saying this makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I, I want to make sure we understand, he is beginning and ending here with these words, this idea of building up the body. And when you see a repetition like this, a repeated phrase, a repeated concept at the beginning and end of a passage where it serves as a bracket, right? this is something that's important, that's worth recognizing and noting when you see it in Scripture. Technically, and you probably don't care, it's called an inclusio. You won't be tested on the word, but it is worth noting because what it means is that everything in between this brackets is about the same subject. So Paul is signaling here that everything between verses 12 and 16 are explaining how to build the body of Christ. These words in the passage really get to the essence of the teaching mandate of the Great Commission, to make disciples by teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And so for that to happen, God gifts churches with pastor, teachers, evangelists, and others to build rock-solid disciples. So this is our mandate as ministers, our mandate to teach, if you will. Remember, he says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So our task as a ministerial team is to equip everyone here to do the work of ministry. And this isn't always people's first thought, right? You think a minister is to do the ministry, and we do have ministry responsibilities, but but the task of ministry is the work of the entire body of Christ, the entire church. So as we equip, the task of every member of this church is to build up the body of Christ. We guide as a team the efforts to build the congregation up. The congregation in turn builds up Christ's church, which brings in new people who need to be built up so that they in turn can build up Christ's church. I will hope you see the cyclical nature of this and the multiplicative nature of this. Because it's demonstrating that we don't multiply, or rather we don't build up simply for the sake of building up. We build up because there is a lost and broken world out there that doesn't know Jesus. We build up because there are people out there who don't know the peace and the freedom and the joy that comes from genuine forgiveness and genuine grace and eternal life through Jesus Christ. But I think one of the points that Paul is making here, and it makes good sense, is that Christ's body can't be sustainably built up by people who don't really know or understand what they're talking about. And so this is why Paul gives us the measure of effective building up in this passage. He says, what does it look like to be a rock-solid, steady disciple? 
He says that it's someone who's not easily swayed by false teaching, fancy talking, or fad philosophy. In verse 14, he explains the purpose of this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried along by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? Note the inherent instability of his imagery here, of, of a leaf blowed on the wind, perhaps, or, or a, a piece of driftwood floating on the water. And he says this is not the mark of a mature disciple. That the goal is for every disciple, not just the ones who are called to ministry or called to be deacons or, or the ones who are just super passionate about learning stuff, for every disciple to be stable, solid, and firmly grounded in the true faith of Jesus Christ. And to stand firm in the faith of Jesus Christ in the face of all that our world is throwing at us requires that we become mature followers of Christ. That's the point of verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You see, verse 15 is the contrast to verse 14. Verse 14 is an immature believer. Someone who's got salvation, but they don't know yet truly what they believe and why they believe it. And verse 15 is the rock-solid disciple, the one who is not convinced by whatever they last read from that army of pop theologians that live on Facebook. The ones who are not fooled by the smooth-talking TV evangelist who's spouting a false gospel of prosperity that's guaranteed instead of the true gospel of Jesus Christ that's grounded in his word and expressed in love. This is the purpose of the building up pillar, that we as a body cooperate with the Holy Spirit to develop rock-solid disciples of all ages. We want disciples, if we extend Paul's analogy, we want disciples who aren't going to be like that floating piece of driftwood and just goes wherever the waves take it and blows where the wind takes it on the surface of the ocean. Instead, we want to build disciples who are kind of like the rock of Gibraltar, solid, towering over the Mediterranean Sea, able to handle any storm life throws at it. And the process is, the reality is, we get there over time through the work of the Holy Spirit. He does transform us in this way. This is the essence of the incredible truth that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I mean, this is just amazing, right? We all, every believer in Jesus Christ, we, we, we can see the glory of the Lord, no veil that stands between us. But more than that, we are being transformed by the Spirit into the likeness of Christ himself. He does not leave us where we start out. He changes us. We are all being transformed. Who we once were is irrelevant. What matters now is that we are defined by Christ in us. The Holy Spirit gives this transformation, but Scripture is also clear that we must each choose to cooperate with Him because we can quench the Spirit. We can minimize His impact on our life. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, we must choose to cooperate with Him in this work of a lifetime, this work 
that will not be completed until we stand with the Lord in heaven. This cooperation comes through things like public teaching, making it a a habit to hear the word of God proclaimed and taught on a regular basis. It comes through a private spiritual devotion, committing time every possible day to reading God's word and praying, meditating, and worshiping the Lord in private. It comes through meaningful, godly friendships and relationships with other believers that are not just stuck at the water cooler weather and sport level, but that grow us and stretch us, encourage us, and strengthen us and support us in our time of need. And we must understand that there is a purpose to all this. It's not just growing for the sake of growing. We build rock-solid disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ to the world, a world that desperately needs the love and renewal and mercy and wisdom and grace of God through Jesus Christ. And they need to see it through us. Because that is how God is choosing to work in the world. We build rock-solid disciples to shine the light of Christ by shining their light. And Colossians 1.28 tells us about the end state, the goal as a church for the disciples. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's, that's the building up function at work. And listen here to the purpose. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That last phrase is the key. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Not just some of the people, not just those most gifted or most passionate, not just the ones who get to be deacons or ministers or committee leads or or whatever you want to call it. Everyone mature in Christ. And I hope that that is your personal goal, to reach that maturity in Christ. So how do we do this as a community of faith? How do we, if you look at the, the broad diversity of our of our community of faith now and those we hope to bring in that we pray will come through our doors. How do we simultaneously, on the one hand, build up people who have been going to church for well over five decades, and on the other hand, build up people who might have been going to church for a total of five minutes? Well, this is where Paul's how comes into the question. The how is that disciples must be built up with certain knowledge and skills. The Bible is very clear. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are expected to grow and progress from spiritual infancy, to to move from our starting point when we are saved. Right? We don't ever get more saved. Let's be clear on that. But we are supposed to move from that point where we are, where we are, are saved, we are a new creation in Christ, and yet we don't really have a clue what we're supposed to do with that. And we are supposed to move to spiritual maturity. And this movement is what is described as moving from milk to solid food or meat in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, right? Note that expectation of growth. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, right? Notice that focus on intentionality, on training, on practice, on exercising the skills and the knowledge by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So my question for each person here today is where are you on the milk to meat spectrum? And do you 
How do you even honestly know where you are? Now, the good news is Christ meets us wherever we are. He meets us when we are immature and messy, selfish, disgusting, or hostile towards him. And he redeems us anyway. And he loves us anyway. And he saves us anyway, and then he begins to transform us. He gives us new desires, a new relationship with God. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that as we welcome everyone into our body, as we invite people and encourage them to enter into this community of faith, we must welcome them as they are, but we can't leave them there. Right? We are to welcome people in the midst of their sin, suffering, poverty, trauma, grief, and confusion. We are to be a place where people who are hurt or hostile, burnt out, or terrified by churches will feel comfortable coming just as they are. We will know we are succeeding on this vision when there are people coming through who do not know how to dress like us, how to talk like us, how to act in church. And I hope that we will welcome them in because that is the sign that we are accomplishing God's mission. But just as we must welcome them in as they are, we are also must be the place where nobody stays the way they were. Because the upward call of Jesus Christ is for each of us to be continuously transformed by the Spirit of God. And as part of that transformation process, we recognize that over the centuries, observation and the teaching of Scripture make clear that there is a common body of knowledge, habits, and skills that every disciple should develop and practice in order to fuel that transformation, to support that cooperation with the Spirit, to reduce our resistance to God's work in our lives. Paul lists four areas of knowledge and growth in verse 13. These are the things that he says a pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist should be teaching. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Faith, knowledge, maturity, and Christ-likeness. These are Paul's four essential ingredients for a rock-solid disciple. So how would you rate yourselves in each of these four areas? In faith, in knowledge of the Son of God, in maturity, and in Christ-likeness. I want to encourage you to take time this week to reflect on this question, on each of these four areas, and if you're brave enough, to take it to God and ask for His guiding on this. Most of us, myself included, have room for growth. This is at the very essence of the first building up initiative to provide a phased discipleship process to deliberately move every believer in the community of faith from spiritual infancy to maturity, from milk to to meet. I want to note the phrase, every believer. Because I want to be clear, this vision is not just for the adults in the church and then the youth and the kids just keep doing their thing. Right? This is a mandate for us to build up every believer in Jesus Christ, regardless of their age. Obviously, the technique will vary based on age and situation, but it is a Mandate to build up every disciple, every believer, whether they're an elementary student and team kid in Sunday school, whether they're a youth in refuge, 
whether a young adult, a, a busy parent, an empty nester, or a senior citizen. Because we all have room to grow as disciples of Jesus. Now what is phased discipleship? Phased discipleship sets out to identify sets or, or stages of biblically-based knowledge, skills, and practices that have proven useful to develop and live a mature life as followers of Jesus Christ. Included in this would be things like biblical literacy, daily spiritual practices, prayer, service, ministry, the ability to share or explain the gospel, to share your own testimony, to understand essential Christian beliefs, and to systematically be able to go deeper in certain areas that you're called to. It's about intentionally and systematically making sure that every believer is equipped with what's needed for faith knowledge, maturity, and Christ-likeness, just like Paul described in verse 13. Most of us have strengths in our discipleship, but we also have gaps in our discipleship. Usually this just sort of develops, because most of us are accidental disciples, if you are. We are, we are saved by the, by the grace of God. We are called into relationship with God but our discipleship journey is often accidental. It's almost bumping along from one thing to another. And so, so our, our strengths and our gaps often reflect whatever we have or haven't been taught in Sunday school, in uh, youth group, in, in Bible studies, in seminars, or in church. And we usually know our strengths pretty well because those are the things we think are the most important thing for a church to do. Right? We all love our strengths. But finding our gaps and then knowing what to do to fill them, that can be very difficult for us. So my question is, do you personally find it easy to figure out what you should do next to grow in Christ? Do you have a, a clear idea and understanding of the next area God wants you to work on? And if you know, do you know how to get started? There's so many words we often bandy around in churches that we don't necessarily know what the meaning is, but we nod our head because we want to look like we fit in, and we don't want to say, I don't actually know what it means to disciple another person. I don't know what you mean by sharing the gospel, but it seems like a good idea. So is there, is there clear guidance available? Or do you rely on luck and divine intervention to show you the path of a disciple? Here at LRBC, we have a lot of really excellent Bible studies, but my question is, is there an intentionality to them? Is there a bigger picture or plan behind them that is about creating a trajectory that moves each believer along a path that results in completeness as a mature disciple? I respectfully submit the answer is no. We could faithfully attend these Bible studies for years. We could learn lots of good biblical truths, interesting facts, have great godly relationships with people, and there's a lot of value in these things. But we could fail to move towards true discipleship, towards being a more faithful follower of Christ, and it's not even for lack of trying, it's that we don't know. Because there's gaps in what we're being taught. And this is not a knock against any of the hardworking and gifted teachers we have here. Please, I love all of you who teach, and you have blessed my family and myself inordinately over the years. 
But as a community of faith, we need to do a much better job of making sure that we are guiding and providing studies that help move people from wherever they are in their, their, their development as a disciple to the next stage they're being called to, the next stage of their discipleship journey. The task before us is to equip every believer, every believer, to live a life that's full of delight in God and discipleship to Jesus Christ. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I like to hope that we all would like to delight more in God and be a more faithful disciple of Jesus. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume we want that for ourselves. We want that for our friends. We want that for our kids. And we want that for the generations who are not yet here. And our purpose in all of this is not to become giant brainiacs or start a miniature seminary in our building, but it is to equip, encourage, exhort, and inspire us all to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to our neighbors so that we demonstrate to them how much God loves them and wants to be in relationship with them. And so we are going to build up rock-solid disciples who build God's kingdom by living boldly for him. That's our calling, that's our mandate, that's our privilege, our duty, and our joy. So let's get started building. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, it is with amazement that we consider that you not only sent your Son to save us. Right? That is astonishing, that is amazing, blows our mind that your Son, present at creation, willingly stepped into this world, suffered and died, that those who trust in him could be saved, that we could have a future with you. But then on top of that, you don't just leave us where we are. You don't pat us on the head and say, okay, great, I'll see you when you die. You put your spirit in us. And you begin the work of transformation, slow and patient, for all the days of our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you will help us to cooperate with the Spirit and not fight Him. That you would help us be built up and transformed. That you would help us to build up others, that they may be transformed, Lord. That we may ultimately build your kingdom, build the body of your Son. That is our calling and our mandate, Lord. I pray that we be faithful to it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.